WIOX is supported by you and the following underwriters. The Catskill Revitalization Corporation, home of the Delaware and Ulster Railroad, based in Arkville, and the Catskill Scenic Trail for hiking and biking along the old rail bed from Roxbury to Bloomville. The Delaware and Ulster Railroad Tourism Train is scheduled to return this summer for rides in an open car or coach with food and beverage aboard the vintage Silver Rose Dining Car. Dates and details at the Delaware and Ulster Railroad Facebook page or at durr.org. Peek-a-Moose Restaurant on State Route 28 in Big Indian with farm-to-table cuisine Thursday through Monday. Indoor dining from 4 to 9 p.m. Takeout till 10. Peekamoose.com or 845-254-6500. 845-254-6500. The Slider Agency on Main Street in Margaretville. A neighborhood independent insurance agency educating consumers about safe driving and about coverage options. Open Monday through Friday, 8.30 till 5. More information at 845-586-2641 or slideragency.com. This is Dan O'Connell, host of Monday Morning Music on WIOX Roxbury. As a WIOX spokesperson, I also manage underwriting for the station, and I'm here to let you know that underwriting on WIOX is a great way to support the station and inform the community about your business or service. If you'd like to become an underwriter, Contact me for details at 607-326-3900 or WIOX at WIOXradio.org. Okay, you are listening to WIOX Community Radio, live and local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM and MTC Cable Channel 20, 107.5 FM on the campus of SUNY Delhi and everywhere at WIOXradio.org on computers or smartphones and also with the Radio Garden phone app. This is from the forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Talk about a different forest-related topic with Ryan and John. 
John, how's it going? Things are good, right? How are you? All right. What have you been up to? What have I been up to? Uh, well, earliest I've ever done it, but I'm starting to restack my firewood pile and uh, fill it back in, even though I'm still burning from the other side of it. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> You're just getting the lancey, huh? I guess. I don't know. I mean, usually <laughs> I'm like making it. maple syrup this time of year, and I took a year <laughs> off, so I just have this awkward month. I just don't know what to do with myself. You're like an angry beaver. Yeah, you, know, you just like gotta fill fill that space up. You know? Seriously though, it's exactly the feeling. It's just like I stare at it. I walk by and you know I did a couple wheelbarrows full the other day just to make it feel like I did something. Yeah, I was there, and then the snow came, and I'm not. I can't push the wheelbarrow through the snow, so I'll wait until it goes down a little bit. Yeah, no, I'm not gonna do it in the snow now either. But before the snow came, the woods were nice and dry and easy to get around in, and I had, I got some firewood up in there. It's already split and ready to be moved. I know it. I know. I'm looking for sapwood. Uh, maybe I can't get my wheelbarrow through, but if I find an aspen tree on the side of the road, um, I'm going to pirate one of those. So, hmm. All right. You know, it's good for boiling sapwood. I've been done with sugar now for two weeks. <laughs> That's amazing because yeah. most people just started two weeks ago. I know. It's crazy. But, you know, it is what it is, and uh, there's advantages and disadvantages and um, whatever, you know. But tonight's topic is mountaintop arboretum with mark wolf and we've had mark on before in the past let me see if i can get him on mark are you there i am here i'm here oh, i can hear you clearly oh great i can hear you clearly too all right way across way across the mountains that's right and uh where are you calling from i'm calling from the uh administrative area in the timber frame education center at mountaintop arboretum Okay. Well, before you uh, explain what the Martin Mountaintop Arboretum is, um, explain yourself. Who are you? My, explain myself. Yeah, explain yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? What don't, got don't you people, into it? Don't people hire other people to do that for yeah. them? Nah, um, nah. No, no. No, you're going to do this yourself. <laughs> I am uh, Mark Wolf. I'm the executive director at Mountaintop Arboretum. Um, I've been here for seven years now. I was uh, originally hired as director of horticulture because I have a horticulture background, um, mostly studying at New York Botanical Garden and also working in the field with different um, native plant uh, landscape designers and architects. Um, and before I got here, I had uh, I worked in the theater. I was a writer and an actor in theater and film and television. Um, living in New York but working all around the country for uh, a couple decades and um, decided I wanted to get back out in the woods so and, and be outside more and work with plants so that's why I went to horticulture school and uh, when I graduated the Arboretum came to the to New York Botanical Garden looking for maybe an alumnus and school said hey there's this guy he wants to move back to the Catskills because my partner and I um, my partner Craig who's a baker in Tannersville um, moved up here about 20 years ago and then um, he moved in with me um, and then we moved back what, what made you want to get back into plants well that's a good question so one day I was reading the newspaper it happened to be the New York Times and I happened to open it to a page about wildflower meadows. Oh, that's a really good question, Ryan. 
because it all it comes full circle, and maybe we'll do it during this interview. I, there was an article about wildflower meadows. This is in 2007 or 8, and there were photos of it and stories of it, and it just blew me away. I mean, but just hit my soul. Just pictures in the New York Times. And I went, drove up to Connecticut to hear this guy named Larry Weiner talk about wildflower meadows and it like it just totally changed my life i mean originally i had gone to college um at williams college in the berkshires and i originally went for environmental studies but so it was always something i was interested in um but this really hit me so hard and um i started taking a few classes dabbling in it and started um doing a little more and then one of my teachers asked me if i wanted to work with him on a on a project and I was just getting so much joy out of the work that my other passion theater um, was getting less <laughs> I was getting less joy out of and so I made so I made the switch yeah I mean it's quite the contrast do you do you, do you go back to theater at all or or is it something oh just my in gosh, the, yeah. you're, you're, you're like reading my mind I'm actually I did my first play in almost 10 years um there's a new theater company in town called the Maud Adams Theater Hub and my it's weird because the arboretum is on the corner of 23C Route 23C and Maud Adams Road which is this little dirt road Maud Adams was the theater star of her day like late 1800s she was like the the star of her day and she was the inspiration for the role of Peter Pan and she was the first uh, person who played Peter Pan on Broadway, and um, why am I talking about her? Oh, because there's this new theater company in town called the Maud Adams Theater Hub, and it does community theater, and we just did this play, and it's the first time I've been on stage in almost 10 years, about a resort for heterosexual cross-dressing men that was about five minutes from the Arboretum. It was up in Jewett. And it was in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And men would come up and dress as women because it's something that they wanted to do. And some of them brought their wives along. And people in Hunter still remember them coming down all dressed up and going into the butcher shop and going into the post office. And so there was this play that was on Broadway about 10 years ago that is about this resort that was basically, you know, a five-minute drive from the Arboretum. And... Uh, the we did it at the, the really lovely theater in Hunter. Hmm. Is there any way to uh, you feel you can segue your theater into um, the Mountaintop Arboretum at all or no? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, actually, I've been asked. You know, now and then, not I, I, I get asked to to speak. And uh, one of the people who asked me asked me about you know theater and what's what's the. Um, is there a connection? And there's a huge connection between theater and and gardens, especially, I think, public gardens. I mean, many people think of, like, landscape design as painting, but I really see it more as theater because it's three-dimensional. It occurs when you, when you visit a garden, it occurs through time like a play does. You enter... You exit, you go through different scenes, maybe. You, you pass through different stories. There's, there's sounds. Um, there's, there's the wind through the grasses. There's texture. 
and and their stories. So I think there's a a lot of uh, there's a lot of crossover. And um, you know, there's a great theater producer that started. It's called the uh, New York Shakespeare Festival, named Joe Papp. And I sort of he's sort of one of my role models because he he really got this place going and got people excited about it and was producing new things and and we're you know I'm trying to do that we are trying to do that here Um, you know um, show people the beauty of new plants that they may not know um, tell them stories about the region about the geologic history and the the bog history and there's just so many great like people walk into this building that I'm sitting in and there's already stories to tell about it so how's that for a segue yeah I mean you said you went to you know you went back to what was the guy's name Weiner there Larry Weiner yeah and you know you saw something in New York Times and, and, and Wildflowers inspired you what was something when you first visited the mountaintop arbory and that was like okay I'm gonna stay here oh yeah that's that's a really good question they took me out to, well, when I say they, the, the current chairman, the current treasurer, and the current president of the board at the time um, took me out in, in um, when must have been this time of year. <clears throat> yeah, it was right around this time of year, uh, what we call Spruce Glen. And it's this just deep, dark hemlock spruce forest, and there's some yellow birch and some balsam fir also, but it's really dominant spruce uh, and hemlock. And it's just so, so beautiful. And, the, and in the winter, the sun, you know how lo- how low the sun is in the sky, right? It, it, it reflects off the hemlock needles. They, all the needles on some days and on that day just look silver. And um, we walk through there, and then it, the, the trail opens out onto all of a sudden you come out of the forest onto this huge, huge for this elevation, 2,400 feet, what we call the Hidden Marsh, which is a (laughs) 14-acre marshland that kind of reminds me of of like um, salt marshes on Cape Cod. It's just so expansive, except you're surrounded by big conifer trees and mountains. Um, it's, It's just so beautiful. When they took me out there, I really thought this is this is where i want this i really want this job yeah and you must like seasons i mean because that that place definitely gets winter more than other places it seems right i mean that's a different area the mountaintop yeah i would i would say it really is um (laughs) especially i mean especially if you're living down the mountain like let's say you know phoenicia or i mean that's near me or even Further down the mountain is like uh, Palinville if you're coming up Catterskill Clove, because this this uh, winter we had I don't know almost two feet of snow and they only had rain down there and it's only five miles away. Right. So it's really it's a winter wonderland up here. So if you're if you're missing snow, come visit. Right now we have well probably nine inches of snow, and um, and I tell people if if you missed spring <laughs> and you and and you uh, you know, and you you're down in Woodstock. Come on up because spring is four weeks later here. Or fall, if you want an early fall, come on up because it basically starts 
Well, it starts early everywhere in the Catskills, but it starts like mid-August here. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so let's talk about the mountaintop arboretum. I mean, when I think of an arboretum, you know, you think of um, down the cities where, you know, it, they've they've invested in these arboretums. There's a lot of people there to see them, but they're they're down in elevation. They're near the ocean and stuff. This arboretum is a lot different than others, right? I mean, you're yeah. high up in elevation, but yeah, I guess go into that. Like, what's what's the vision? What what's the history of this place? Yeah, that's really interesting because. Really, the reason the Arboretum is here is because we are at this elevation, 2,400 feet, because the founders, Pete and Bonnie Ahrens, uh, Pete Ahrens was a uh, medical researcher. He was a, he was a MD, but he was a researcher, MD. And um, he was studying um, cholesterol in human beings. But he also, with his, he loved trees. He was on the board at New York Botanical Garden, and his wife, Bonnie was very active in the New York Botanical Garden, very active in the New York Fern Society. They were really, really plant geeks, but especially loved trees. And their their summer home, which is up here still, although they've they've both passed away. Um, she passed away recently at 100 or 101. Um, and their summer home overlooked this very scrubby six acres that had maybe been used for hay didn't really grow very much because there was a lot of bedrock, uh, poor soil. We have very, very, uh, it's like, it's technically silty alone, but it's really, really silty and very poorly drained. So the land wasn't great. They were overlooking it. They wanted to start experimenting with trees. And if the horticulture industry said, hey, you can buy this tree and it's, it's suitable for zone six, which is much warmer, especially in the 70s when they started the Arboretum. You know, I think we were like bordering zone four or five for cold hardiness. They planted these trees that technically weren't supposed to survive here. <laughs> and to see how badly they did or did they die or did they live. So really it began as a scientific experiment because of the elevation and the very difficult uh, winters and growing conditions. And over time, it's become, it's evolved more into a native plant-focused public garden, botanical garden. Um, but they started it in 77 as a public garden. It was open to the public from the very beginning. Yeah, I mean, what's changed since since then? Like, when people were, have arboretums changed and how we perceive those from when they started it? When was it? What years were those, those again? 1977. Yeah, I mean... What's the change in arboretum since the 70s to 2023? That's now a chunk of time. Yeah, I would say there's huge, huge change. Uh, all arboretum, and basically an arboretum is, is really a botanical garden, which is, which is a public, which is, doesn't have a public garden, but most botanical gardens are public. And an arboretum is just more focused arbor tree. An arboretum is just more focused on trees and woody plants, trees and shrubs, than say a than say a botanical garden, which is f- more focused on everything. So that's really, I mean, arboretum is basically a botanical garden also. And in the 70s, you know, the idea was, what do we collect? What plants do we collect? What what are the the plants from all over the world? Maybe they're invasive. We don't really, you know, we don't know. But let's collect them. Let's use whatever it takes to keep them alive. Um, 
you know, fertilizers, pesticides, herbicides, um, and make them as make each plant as beautiful as possible. And over time, it's really the, the change started with like, well, let's let's see if we can make beauty without using all these um, chemicals and fertilizers and water. Um, why don't we maybe use native plants and see how beautiful plants that are native to the region can be used without being so dependent on so many um, ad additives, um, and that which is healthier for the environment. And then maybe those, and and then as climate change has really become and loss of species around the world has become so prevalent. Um, botanical gardens have really taken on, become, want to, and hopefully we are, becoming at the forefront of teaching people and showing people the beauty of gardening sustainably and doing research on climate change and what, how plants are affected and is, should we be planting plants that we think are going to be surviving better in 50 years. And a lot of uh, botanical gardens are also getting into seed saving now and, and banking seeds that are, are diverse because we're losing species and we're losing species diversity. So, they've, so that it's, a, it's a, a big change since the 70s. Mark, I want to back you up just a second. What are some species up there at 2,400 feet that uh, might still be there that would surprise anyone uh, – you know, to think that anything's growing that high. Oh. Um, or is there any, guess, anything that was brought in is, is of the zone six plants, are they all gone now? Well, yeah. what's interesting is that um, we think the zone six plants that survive here are probably um, are, wait, sorry, I'm just down jacket <laughs> um, are probably plants that were pushed south by the glaciers and still have which is 10 to 15 well 15,000 years ago maybe at the most recent maybe 10 to 15 I forget what that really is I think ours we know that our glaciers were around here around 15,000 years ago so those zone 6 plants like Father Giller and like um, Bottlebrush Buckeye, Aeschylus, Parviflora, that we really think of as Zone 6 plants, they do well here, and we think it's because they were native here. They got pushed down, and they just haven't made, they haven't made their way back up naturally. Huh. That's interesting, because would it shock you to say that a our uh, my family's hunting camp has a persimmon tree growing at twenty six hundred and sixty feet. That would shock me. Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to show it to you. Yeah. Oh, I'd love it, to see it. It's a native, not a, a native persimmon. It's not doing great. I'll tell you that. It dies That's back true. every year, but every year it, it it's growing. Wow. Um, does it does it fruit? No, definitely not. <laughs> uh, um, is it a native persimmon or is it a? I don't know. I don't know the history. Oh. I mean, I don't know. Um, That'd be interesting to see what, because there are native persimmon. They're probably a zone six tree, but they they do survive up here too. Um, they might have been pushed south also. 
Yeah, there's no doubt. This one is just surviving. That's all it's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, yeah. it's been in the ground for six or eight years now, only because, you know, one of the deer hunters read an article that said deer like persimmon, and the thought went no further <laughs> than that. So uh, right. he got a hold of a persimmon tree and put it in the ground. So, well, that's um, a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I... You know, some plants don't exist in some areas just for cultural reasons, you know. Like there's not red oak, say, in Frost Valley, but it can grow there right. just fine. Right, sure. You know, same sure. thing with eastern red cedar. Why isn't it more abundant in the upper east branch Delaware? I have no idea. But you go up and over Schoharie and boom, there it is. Right. Yeah, it's, and it's not at the Arboretum at all, but maybe yeah. right in the Schoharie. Which we're, we're in the Schoharie right here, but it's not here at all, but maybe, I don't know. 10 miles west less probably seven miles west it's abundant yeah yeah some of those things you know i've come to realize are in, in my opinion people would disagree with me are, are from cultural things that humans are maybe doing or not doing and uh you know yeah you know, well yeah i think those uh the uh certainly with those red cedars they're coming back on like they really come in around where that old airport was and old farmland yeah 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 absolutely um, what's some things, you know, that has changed in your mind about arboretums since you've been there now? For how long have you been there now? I've been here for seven years. Okay. I mean, what are some things when you showed up, you're like, yeah, you know, I can't believe I did that, or, or yeah, no, we should definitely do more of that. Like, yeah, what what are things that have changed mm-hmm. in your mind? Um, I guess there are plants that, you know, they're just plants that happen to do really well here, and I I don't know why. Um, starting with ground covers, um, you know, that's one thing that Arboreta and public gardens are doing more is instead of mulching everything, using ground covers, which people sometimes call green mulch because they're plants, they're green. And so they, they help suppress weeds. Um, you know, you can use them in tree circles. Um, you can use them at the front of borders instead of mulch. Um, and one we that does great, just amazing up here, it's so beautiful, is this, it's a fleabane, and it's called a Rigeron pulchellus, and it's actually a cultivar called Linhaven carpet, so it sort of forms this carpet. And that's something that really is very aggressive, which we like here because we have, we don't have enough staff, basically, or very few staff, or not, we don't have enough staff to really do like, a, so as much weeding as would be needed if we didn't use these ground covers. Um, another great one that people have said to me, I've never seen this do as well as here, is a really lovely uh, GM called Prairie Smoke, which is native really more to the Midwest and I would say very western New York. And it's it's such a cool plant. It, it's When it flowers, it looks like one of those Smurf heads, that like fuzzy... Um, hair <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's such a beautiful cool plant and it, I don't know why it does really well up here marsh marigold does really well up here so these are things that we've tried and we're like oh this does well this really helps us um, helps fight erosion helps us not have to mulch and bring in man-made mulch all the time because we don't we, we're trying to start um, making more of our build more of our own soils from you know, leaf litter and twigs, um, but again, we don't, we, we're not there yet. Um, so that's, those are really big helps. 
um, what else? Uh, Musclewood uh, really does well up here. It does really beautifully. Um, some people call it Blue Beach. Some people call it Ironwood, but there's also another Ironwood tree that does really well up here too. Um, so Musclewood is um, like something Carolini, Carolini, Carpinus, Carpinus, right? Yeah, that's a good and one. And then Australia, Virginia is the one that's all. They're both called ironwood sometimes, but they're very. I mean, they're both related to birches, but they're really, really different trees. The bark is so different on them. And those are two beautiful trees that we used around the education center when we were um, designing the plants around the, the new education center. Is that smoke bush? Is that related to, to the, you know, to smoke bush? The common name you mentioned. What was that one? No, again? purple smoke. No, yeah. no, no, no. No. Okay. All right. No. All right. I was just wondering because I see that planted in places in the Catskills, and it's it's doing well, despite yeah. deer browse and heavy clay. I have heavy clay where I live, so I, I look for plants that do well in heavy clay. Yeah, so. I mean that's basically what we have: heavy clay. I, yeah, smokebush is probably one of those other plants that was pushed south. I have a feeling it hasn't hasn't made it back naturally. Huh. Interesting. Uh, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Tonight's topic is Mountaintop Arboretum with Mark Wolf. So, Mark, um, just wanted to mention quickly here, you're the executive director, but you said you wanted to talk about uh, the Arboretum and that position? Yeah, so we just um, were completing our strategic plan, um, and as we were doing it, <laughs> this the, the board and I and uh, we had a facilitator, and we spent – well, we started before COVID, and then we had to cancel it, and then we t- did it by Zoom during COVID, and then we've been right. So the whole process has taken a while. But as we've – the board and I have been developing this plan, we realized we really wanted to have this position of a combining horticulturist and environmental steward. And as executive director, I was thinking, wow, that's, <laughs> that's really the job I would really like. And as we're growing – because we've really, when I got here, we did not have an education center. Um, we did not have as much programming. Uh, we did not have as many visitors. This, the job as executive director that I was still able to do so much horticulture is becoming more about running the organization and fundraising. And it's not really why I came here, and it's not really my strengths. So I talked to the board and said, you know, maybe I should be director of horticulture and environmental stewardship, and we should hire somebody who is really great at the things that I'm not great at. And we talked about it over, I don't know, quite a few months as we were developing the strategic plan, and then we've decided to do that. So we have a, I mean, if you go to our website, mtrboretum.org, and you go under to the about section, we have a, a job description there for a new executive director, and we're um, now, right now, in the process of um, having people apply. So, if anybody out there knows somebody that you know, is, I mean, we're looking for somebody with 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 experience to be a, who has proven experience, whether it's in the nonprofit world or the or the corporate world. Um, as I say to my friends, we're we don't necessarily need somebody who knows a red maple from a red oak. That would be nice, but that's not really what we're looking for. We're looking for somebody who's passionate about our mission and who can help us grow as an organization. And the deadline for applying is March 15th. 
Okay, so that's coming up. Um, and what is your what is the mission? It changed. You know, we had you on a yep. while ago. I think it was two years. It might have been three years ago now. But the mission has changed, right? Yeah, I mean, I would say the mission in spirit is still the same. It just we felt that the older mission was longer and um you know, a mission is an official thing, so to change it, you need the board approval, and during the strategic plan, we, we worked on it. So our new mission is to conserve, enhance, and celebrate our distinctive Catskill Sanctuary through sustainable horticulture, responsible land stewardship, and innovative educational programming. And those three things, sustainable horticulture, responsible land stewardship, and innovative educational programming really were in our old mission as well. It was three-pronged, and it still is. Um, and the Catskills is such a unique place in the world. Um, actually, just popped into my mind. We're, we are the – so um, the federal government has broken – the regions of the United States into different zones, eco-zones, which is like a, like an ecosystem. And if you go down to the fourth, you can sort of go deeper and deeper into the map, and if you go down to the fourth level, the Catskill High Peaks is its own zone. So even, you I mean, the federal government recognizes the Catskills as this very unique place. And we want, and part of our mission is to, to show that and, and to celebrate it and to conserve it and to make it and to enhance it, meaning, from my mind, that means show the beauty of it, whether it's by revealing the beauty that's here naturally or, or creating beauty through gardens that, like our rain gardens, which show people how you can conserve water, um, create habitat um, through, through gardening. That's interesting. I mean... You know, we, we, we're not here on From the Forest. John and I work for the Catskill Forest Association, also another private nonprofit doing forestry education. From a forester standpoint, I find, you know, I used to be a ranger in the high peaks, and it's a really interesting place, but it is boreal in places and northern hardwood in most of it. But what I find most interesting about the Catskills is not the high peaks. It's actually the escarpment. It's where the Hudson Valley or Schoharie, depending on where you are, meets the upper elevation. That's where, you, where, in my opinion, you get the most diversity. So right where you are, going downhill into the big Hudson Valley, mm-hmm. man, that's why you, that's where you see, in my opinion, the most tree diversity. Because it's, you yeah, know, well, it, it's I mean, a, yeah. You get my kudosh on, as I'm sure you have. Yeah. I know you have. Right. And he'll talk about that. I mean, because of all the burning that's, that the um, indigenous peoples were doing down in the valley, that swept up the escarpment. Yeah. That they, that we have such a mix of, like you say, those boreal species, northern hardwood species, and then those species that that moved in with the burning. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I lack thereof. That, that area. And, and and areas that didn't burn amongst the areas that burned. Right. Which is pretty cool. I you know. Yeah. So from where you are downhill is is pretty cool spot. I mean, think about it. It's only like you said before, three to five miles. And you're at right. you're at 900 feet, you know. Right, <laughs> <laughs> and that's crazy, you know. Yeah, that people like those zone maps. A lot of them you can throw in the garbage because 
they don't account for elevation in the Catskills. When you look at the zone maps, like, okay, I know the elevation changes a lot from that point A to point B. Right, or the aspect, right? Yeah, it's you're on aspect. A, you're on a north slope versus a south slope. That's a whole zone difference, man. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we're going to Clarieville tomorrow. That's going to be a different world. It's a different world up there. It's kind of like going to the mountaintop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although a little different, but yeah. So, um, let's see here. What, what what did you want to talk about next? You want to talk about any of the the areas? Um, you have this new spot called the Catalog of Native Trees. That's new. We did yeah. not talk about that well, last time. I do. I, I, well, I do want to talk about that because Catskill Forest Association really kicked off this project for us again. I think this started, John. You were John. You mapped the trees for us. Remember, you gave yep. us GPS points of all these trees throughout the. 178 acres of the arboretum yeah it was and a fun was, day walking around with you mark i enjoyed that yeah i really did too and i think that was before covid it was yeah and um in since you did that some trees fell down <laughs> <laughs> others died others got planted um the board looked at it and said if we want more trees on the map because just because we see a sugar maple here an hour later on this trail, you know, I don't remember what it looks like. So we added trees to it. So I think we have about we have about 30 species, 33 species on the trail that are all native to within the blue line of the Catskills. You know, we're talking about not only is are those, you know, those zone maps not really, they're just human um ways of making sense of of where we live and even when we talk about what's native um it's also just a human construct so we just decided that we're going to take what's inside the blue line of the Casco park and what trees are native to in the blue line that's what we're going to feature in this um on, on our trail and many trees that are talking about elevation many trees that are um native within the blue line are not native at the mountaintop arboretum either because there was no uh, history of burning or just because of of elevation like we don't have white oak growing here um, for instance naturally but it was planted here so it's on the trail because it was planted and there's trees on the trail that were planted um, back in the 1930s by maybe by the Civilian Conservation Corps or inspired by the Civilian Conservation Corps. Maybe somebody else planted them, like Northern White Cedar. Um, That's not at the Arboretum, but we have big groves of it because it was planted um, when they were, back in the 30s, when they were trying to restore um, abandoned farmland. Hmm. But this map is great, and and, um, there's, it's like a brochure, and there's, tree descriptions um there's a description about each tree that one of our volunteers alexandra prince wrote and then the artist um thorn eater uh did leaf drawings of each one so it's it's really beautiful and and it wanders throughout the whole the trail wanders throughout the whole arboretum so that that was a lot of work and we love it (laughs) so mark uh we're going to take a break but um i want you to think about it over the break What's your favorite native tree and what's your favorite non-native tree, all right? Okay. All right. 
You're just tuning in. You're listening to From the Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Talk about a different forest-related topic. Tonight's topic is Mountaintop Arboretum with Mark Wolf. So, Mark, what's your uh, answer to your favorite native and non-native tree? Come on. Well, I have to say, Ryan, it's tonight. It's what now? <laughs> so it's, it's, it's what's my favorite tree right now. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> I realize, like, if you ask me in the spring or you ask me in the summer, different things might come to mind. But my favorite is is going to bore everybody because it's the eastern hemlock. I mean, it's just such a beautiful, majestic, incredible. In the winter, it's, it's the way it holds. Snow. I wouldn't be ashamed of that at all. I walked walked through a hemlock stand at lunchtime today. I found a giant one. It was. I yeah. just stopped and looked at it. You know, they're just. I mean, I'm just. I'm not embarrassed. It's just. It's just like so. I, I think it's so many. It's not a. It's not a like a different one. You know, it's. It's. They're just so beautiful. Um, and just the whole groves of them. It's so deep and shady in there. And like I was saying earlier, the way the sun hits them in the winter, they give you coolness in the summer. They're just so majestic. Um, so. That's my favorite native. Uh, my favorite non-native is also in right now today um, another conifer called Japanese white pine. And I think why I like it so much is because it's a strange tree that when it grows, it grows all the needles and the the, the branches that come off. They're the main branches, but all the smaller twigs are all at the top of the branch. So because nothing's growing off the bottom of the branch, it has this beautiful layered, layering look. And the the cones come out as these huge, like, blue-green, just like if you bang on your, your head on them, like you see stars. They're just <laughs> they're so big and heavy and beautiful. And it's kind of this um, wide-spreading tree. And we have a beautiful one here. Um, and the, fo- the needles, the foliage is... Uh, also a blue green. That's that's my favorite non-native on March first, twenty twenty-three. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, hemlock's one of my four favorite trees. We've had a whole radio show on our four favorite trees, so I'm, I'm waiting on that. I don't know Japanese white pine. I have to look it up. Yeah, it's a great great one too. Or or um, or come see it here. Yeah, <laughs> I could do that too. John, you had a question. Uh, yeah, I got a couple questions. Well, all right, first, I had a question today. Someone reached out to me. They're looking for a coniferous tree that maxes out at 25 feet um, that's deer-resistant. Does one exist? Um, I could not well, come up with a I good mean, answer. Up, up here, it, uh, I don't know would it max out. Would um, pitch pine max out at 25 feet? And I don't know if it's deer-resistant, but it might be. Pitch pine? No, they get pretty tall. They, they, they just, they, even up yeah. here, they get they get that tall. I don't know. You know, your site's probably a little better than maybe even the Shangum Ridge, where there's like virtually no soil. So they're they're dwarf pitch pine, but in in better sites, yeah, they can get twenty five, thirty, even more feet. Yeah, in better sites they can. But I'm just wondering. I mean, if you're growing maple, uh, then you probably could get a thirty foot tall pitch pine. Is what I'm saying. All right. Yeah. Maybe. Especially but, if you're getting Japanese white pine stuff growing that tall, you'll get pitch pine growing that tall. I would I would imagine. Twenty, but you said twenty five feet, right? So yeah, someone's looking for a privacy screen. That, you oh, know, privacy one screen. of those questions. 
They're the yeah, hard ones that I don't like to talk about. Privacy screens are. Yeah. I don't care for privacy for... screens, all right, John? I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm upset you brought it up. All right, all right, back to the operator. Really I've you got know, a, privacy I've... screens. A lot of these people are on a dead-end road in the middle of nowhere. I've got a, I've one got thing a... I would say about design, like yeah. for design, is that make sure you want that privacy screen all year round. Like in the winter, I like having more views coming in, you know, and there's less people around. So it yeah. depends what that privacy screen's for. If it's... You know, maybe you want to have a deciduous privacy screen because then it's always changing. <laughs> True. If you have a conifer privacy screen, it's always the same. Yeah. Um, I told them to go and, with dense shrubbery instead. You know, something yeah. that has the potential to flower. It can get really thick to create that that uh, wintertime yeah, screen. A, you can get a screen with just thick deciduous. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, back to the arboretum. Um, I, I th- wanted. I wanted to. Can I just say one thing? Yeah, definitely. Because remember before when, when you were, I was saying, oh, my God, your your question will be full circle. So remember I told you about that article, the New York Times article, that I that really changed my life? Yeah. And I went to hear this guy speak. So that was Larry Weiner, and I went to hear speak. So now Larry Weiner's, um, his design firm is is designing a meadow here at the Mountaintop Arboretum, and I didn't. I didn't find him. One of the, I mean, I know him well, but one of our board members had seen something he had done at um, Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn and just loved the native plant, the meadow, how it moved through the cemetery. So we have a cemetery right above the Arboretum, and it looks down on the Arboretum, and from it we have much better views of the mountains than the Arboretum has. So the cemetery and we have hired Larry Weiner company to design uh, one sweeping meadow that joins the two, and there'll be paths mowed through it, so if you're at the cemetery, you can walk down at the Arboretum, and, and our guests can then walk up into these really magnificent views of, like, the it's the Plateau Sugarloaf Range, and um, so I'm really excited about that, because that's a new feature for us, this big wildflower meadow, and also that we're giving visitors more access to uh, more things uh, when they come to visit. Wow, really great. Uh, and it's full circle. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, I wanted to uh, raise awareness also, but talk to you about your uh, your timber frame building. That wood came off the property to build that, the, uh, the education center, right? Yeah, it's such an amazing building. I mean, I'm sitting in here now one of my favorite buildings in the world i have to say um it really is 20 21 different species of trees from our forest wow um and it's all pegged and a lot of it's not just timber frame but a lot of them are still hold their branching you know the the branching patterns are holding up the building and it's it's just such a, a beautiful beautiful building i'm so i'm very lucky to work here 21 species what are the the top Three to five. The, I'm sure there's you know a few in abundance, right? Yeah, hemlocks in abundance, white pines in abundance, um, different oaks, uh, red maples, and then we've used just like musselwood, just as a decorative feature, uh, musselwood, striped maple, and um, uh, hop hornbeam. They're all just sort of decorative races, but um, 
you know, you can see what it looks like as a, as a piece of timber, too. Wow. What were some of the challenges in uh, that construction? Um, I don't know. I didn't build it. <laughs> no, I know, but you were there when it was being built, right? As director, you yeah. must have facilitated some of that. Yeah. Um, well, they, you know, it's all it's it's all so precise. Like this piece, ha it's like a jigsaw puzzle in a way. This piece has to fit into this piece. So they, I guess, one of the big challenges was they had to create, they had to create mills, like jigger up a mill that would cut pieces this big um, in the shapes that they wanted. Hmm. Um, so they, and then they fed them through these mills by hand. And then when they were on site, you know, things weren't fitting perfectly, so they'd have to be shaving them down, like lathing them down on site to get them into place. So that was that was pretty cool to watch. Were the logs milled from trees on site, or did they get shipped out for timbers they, and brought they, back? They went. Yeah, the um, the architect and the timber framer and the miller all live in Mount Greylock in the Berkshires, and that's where their workshop is. So it would have been nicer and more, you know, less of a carbon footprint to truck the logs out and then truck them back. But that's what we did. They went to they went to Mount Greylock. Last question. Did all that wood have to get kiln dried or were they did, did no, they do it green? Great question. So we did the floors also. The floors are um, white ash, uh, I think beech and sugar maple. Cool. And the floors were all kiln dried, but a timber frame you build it green, and then as it dries, it tightens around the peg, so it it it, it becomes more secure as it dries. Wow! Jeez. Yeah, I, I would have thought it was kiln dried. That's cool. Yeah, that's neat. I got to spend more time uh, walking around the building. I... Yeah, it's so beautiful. Hey, Mark. Uh, and you can, you can yeah, really see how wood how wood grow. You know how what's it called when when a branch kind of has wood growing in between the V all the way down. Included. Yeah. yeah. You can really see that well because a lot of the included wood pieces are, I'm looking at one right now. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, wood's pretty cool. I mean, those branch unions and stuff are, are pretty cool to look at as well. Yeah. You know, where the trunk starts swallowing up the branch union and vice versa. It's so strong, you know. But um, believe it or not, Mark, you said uh, 40 minutes, but we've, this, we're just about out of time. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so should I plug? Should I plug volunteers and programs? Yeah, please time? do. Please do. Yep. Yeah, so we, we really do rely on volunteers, and volunteers help us gardening, and they help us when we um, run our programs and other events. Uh, we're going to do a bio blitz in May. I think it's May 13th that we're doing with Green County Soil and Water, but it's at the Arboretum, so we'll need volunteers for that. So it's a really great way to meet people who are also passionate about something you're passionate about. And then you should check out our programs because we have, um, you know, tree ID programs, mushroom ID programs, bird walks. We have lectures on garden design. Um, so we have all sorts of great programming throughout the year. So thanks for letting me plug that. No problem. And, uh, yeah, thanks for taking the hour and coming on. We, we really appreciate it. Sure. Thank you very much. All right, Mark. Have a good night. You too. Bye.
All right. That was, uh, if you missed the show, that was Mark Wolf from the Mountaintop Arboretum over there in near Haynes Falls, I guess, Tannersville, yep. uh, Green County. And highly recommend going there. And that's all the time we have on From the Forest. And, um, you know, have a good night. Good night, everyone. All right. Take care. Oh, the neon lights were flashing and the icy wind did blow. The water seeped into his shoes and the drizzle turned to snow. His eyes were red, his hopes were dead, and the wine was running low. And the old man came home from the forest. His tears fell on the sidewalk as he stumbled in the street. A dozen faces stopped to stare, but no one stopped to speak. For his castle was a hallway and the bottle was his friend And the old man stumbled in from the forest Up a dark and dingy staircase the old man made his way His ragged coat around him as upon his cot he lay And he wondered how it happened that he didn't up this way Getting lost like a fool In the forest And as he lay there sleeping A vision did appear Upon his mantle shining The face of one so dear Who'd loved him in the springtime Of a long forgotten year Flowers did bloom in the forest. She touched his grizzled fingers and she called him by his name. And then he heard the joyful sound of children at their games in an old house on a hillside in some forgotten town where the river.